0: Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free.
1: Listener supported.
2: WNYC Studios.
3: Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy.
0: Radar detects a moving object. When object is sighted, confirm, is it living? Infrared sensors are detecting heat.
4: Heat, one, check.
0: 3D camera, 98% humanoid form.
3: This is New Tech City, the show where digital gets personal. I'm Anush Samarodi, and this week, the automation of war. Weapons that kill before an actual human being tells them to.
4: Human. One. Check. Confirm. Does it have a weapon?
3: Weapon detected.
4: Weapon. One. Check. Fire. One.
3: So this episode comes to us from a reporter called Thomas Reintius. He's actually a reporter with Deutschland Funk in Germany. And he just won the German Award for Innovation Journalism for this piece. And his investigation into how warfare technology is colliding with international law.
4: It took me about half a year and I talked to dozens of people because I thought the debate on drones was missing some important ethical aspects. It turned out it's not easy to align the use of autonomous weapons with our existing laws and ethics.
3: And it's an excellent production on one of those topics that you may not think about every day. But if nobody from the public thinks about it, it could get very dangerous very quickly. And since this great reporting was only available to German speakers, we here at New Tech City wanted to bring it to you in English. And frankly, the timing of this story could not be more perfect. As the U.S. military is heading back to Iraq and vowing to destroy ISIS, ground troops aren't part of the plan. The
4: American forces that have been deployed to Iraq do not and will not have a combat mission. As your commander-in-chief, I will not commit you and the rest of our armed forces to fighting another ground war in Iraq.
3: President Barack Obama, and pretty much every American, wants to avoid casualties of American soldiers. We've seen a decade of predator drones used in place of piloted fighter planes to lower the risk to American service people. But that is just the beginning. The incentive to use robots in war is growing, and the law is struggling to keep up. Jody Williams won the Nobel Prize for her work to ban landmines as unjust tools of war. And she thinks it comes down to this basic dilemma.
2: The constant drumbeat of, you know... Better technology is progress. You know, more high tech is, is better warfare. You know, what does that mean? Better warfare, cleaner kill. Um, the ability to kill other people while protecting your troops. I mean, what, is, what, what will warfare be then?
3: At a military trade show in Washington, D.C., armed robots are the big draw. Kent Massey of HDT Robotics is presenting his invention.
1: The robot that we're standing in front of right now is the protector robot.
3: The protector kind of looks like a pack mule crossed with a tank. It can move soldiers' gear, over 1,000 pounds of it, and it's operated by remote control. But the crowd here likes the firepower most.
1: It has the ability to mount a weapon, so the soldiers can use that for direct fire or it can carry a larger mortar than they can carry on their back right now, which gives them the ability to stand off and defend themselves.
3: The U.S. military already uses small armed robots on the ground to disable explosives. And the same company that makes the Roomba, yeah, that vacuuming robot, it sells thousands of small electric robot vehicles to the military. Mark Belanger is in charge of robotics and government programs at iRobot, and he's proud to see his machines enter the battlefield, especially if it's them suffering the consequences. You
2: know, every time a robot gets destroyed uh, during an EOD mission, you know, that's a, a soldier or a marine or somebody else who, who didn't get didn't get hurt by that uh, explosion. That's exactly what they're there to do. You know, when a robot gets blown up, that's a that's another life saved.
3: The military constantly has to order more of these robots because they get blown up so often, which I guess is kind of to be expected if your job is to disarm bombs. These small robots weren't armed originally. But now, that's a new selling point.
2: We have actually demonstrated weapons on on robots. We have our largest robot, which actually isn't here today, is called the Warrior. It's about a 500-pound robot.
3: Coming to a battlefield soon, big robots like the Warrior and the Protector. Following close behind? Robot foot soldiers, ships, and remote-controlled submarines. And then there are the flying robots, the drones.
0: Current altitude, 600 feet.
4: Altitude confirmed. Landing gear, one.
0: Landing gear deployed.
4: Execute land check.
0: All parameters optimal for landing, 350 feet.
4: Automatic landing, one.
5: About 20 years ago, I was flying fighter jets the U.S. military. I was one of the first female fighter pilots.
3: Professor Missy Cummings is the director of the Humans and Autonomy Lab at Duke University. And when I was flying the F-18 Hornet, I realized
5: just how much automation existed in the systems at that point. And for example, when I saw how well planes landed themselves on aircraft carriers, In addition to how well missiles at that time were starting to become um, surgical strike weapons, precision bombers, I realized that, you know, within the next 20 years that the technologies would pretty much eclipse the human capabilities in terms of conducting warfare. And then drones came around.
3: Cummings is a fan. She says drones are more precise and just faster than humans can ever be, even with their limited intelligence.
5: Probably the most advanced drone is the Global Hawk, and it does have the capability that if it loses ground control station link, it has enough smarts to set up its own landing profile at some pre-programmed base somewhere, uh, runway somewhere in the world, and be able to take itself down. And that has actually happened several times.
3: Right now, drones depend on pre-programmed human instructions. But soon, they'll be able to make their own decisions.
5: There's a helicopter program going on in the Marine Corps right now where they're trying to infuse enough autonomy into this helicopter so that it can decide which of a a potential set of landing sites is the best. So helicopters like to land on flat surfaces, not in mud, not in water, but on hard-packed surfaces. And so the question is, can we actually develop a sensor suite that can detect where flat hard-packed surfaces are, enough so that the helicopter knows that is where it should land and then sets up an an approach to allow itself to get there safely.
3: The robot helicopter would be assessing the world around it, making decisions on its own, just for landing at first. But you can see where this could lead.
4: Target confirmed.
3: Brad Allenby is a professor of engineering and ethics at Arizona State University.
1: With Napoleonic-era combat, you knew where the battlefield was, right? With modern warfare, modern conflict, you really don't know where the battlefield is.
3: Is it a terrorist safe house? What if that safe house is in a residential neighborhood? What about a home that a terrorist visits? Or the airspace a drone patrols from 20,000 feet? Or the bunker where the drone pilots work?
1: So I have people flying drones from Las Vegas. Does that make Las Vegas a legitimate military target? There's people all around the world doing cyber warfare. Does that make essentially all of those operatives legitimate military targets? Very difficult questions unless you realize that the geopolitical structure has changed so that the assumptions underneath the laws of war may no longer be valid.
3: Allenby says things get even more complicated when you consider that these drones are being flown by the CIA and their contractors, not the Air Force. The closest most of us are going to get to see how they actually operate is probably season two of Homeland.
0: Suspicious person identified. Suspicious person
4: confirmed. Determine position on the terror list.
0: Number four of the al Ghani Al-Qaeda.
4: Determine are other people in the vicinity.
3: Replace a soldier with a robot, and you just might save a soldier's life. But what about a civilian's? American drones have killed about 2,400 people in Pakistan since 2008. The Pakistani government says about 70 of those deaths were civilians with no link to terrorism. Human rights groups, they say that figure is much, much higher. But what if a drone on autopilot was actually the solution to collateral damage, as it's called? Ronald Arkin is the director of the Mobile Robot Lab at Georgia Tech.
1: We have all these incredible devices that no one could have conceived. A uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, maybe we can make war, as horrible as it sounds, less devastating to the non-combatants than it currently is.
3: He says future technologies will learn how to perform ethically, yes, ethically, on the battlefield.
1: The question that I'm pursuing is trying to find effective ways to enforce moral rules derived by human beings within robotic systems, that does not deal in any way, shape, or form with high-level human moral reasoning. All the moral choices have been made by humans as encoded in the laws of war or the rules of engagement and then are simply followed by the robot.
3: Like robots that decide not just when to pull the trigger, but how many times, what kind of weapon even. Should they use overwhelming force or show some restraint? Shoot? Or Wait and see. This is something humans struggle with in the heat of the moment.
1: A colleague of mine who served as a lieutenant in Vietnam mentioned in a free fire zone his men shot at anything that moved in that particular location. A robot can now shoot at anything that moves. That's a non-trivial problem. But that's the wrong answer. We need to have higher levels of discrimination and capability before they should be allowed to fire. They must do better than human beings before they should be deployed uh, in the battle space. So that's one problem.
0: Number four of the al Al-Qaeda.
4: Determine, are other people in the vicinity?
0: Six unarmed civilians in the immediate vicinity.
4: Civilian count, six. Search for a clear shot. Locate position.
0: Query coordinates. Area is
3: part of a hospital.
4: Permission to fire. Zero. Abort. 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 Abort.
3: Now, of course, there are doubters, serious doubters. Noel Sharkey is a renowned professor of artificial intelligence and robotics at the University of Sheffield in the UK. And he says, just imagine what a robot sees.
2: They can't discriminate between civilians and military personnel, very difficult to do. Robotics has been trying to do visual recognition, artificial intelligence for some 50 years now, a bit more than 50 years, and we can just about tell the difference between a lion and a car. So the idea of putting one of these things into a battlefield where you have children, where you have women, where you have innocent people, and, and thinking it should discriminate between, between those and insurgents is just insane.
3: Sharkey says a machine just can't understand and calculate collateral damage. There's just no way for them to make judgment calls.
2: They can't make judgments with proportionate use of force. Unfortunately, in the laws of war, which I don't like, it's, it's legal to kill civilians, providing it's directly proportionate to the military advantage. There are PhD theses at military academies trying to work out what military advantage is. And what it boils down to really is the judgment of a very experienced Mm -hmm. commander. And there's no way that robots can have that kind of reasoning ability.
3: Okay, so yes, it's a bit he said, she said about what's possible or what's going to be possible. But meanwhile, robots are rolling onto the fields right now. Coming up... It's not just commanders making military judgment calls these days. It's lawyers.
5: In today's warfare, a drone pilot is looking at a screen, talking to potentially five to ten other people looking at that same screen on the radio, one of which is a lawyer.
3: Where circuit boards meet bullets, lawyers, and cold human fear. We're back. It's New Tech City, and we're talking about fighting wars with new weapons. But still following the old rules.
0: Position check. Exact target position reached.
4: Target position one. Visual analysis.
0: Camera system identifies closed door.
4: Check motion sensors.
0: Vibrations indicate
4: two people. Humans, two. Can we hear them?
0: Stereo microphone detects. Sound profile matching target individual to 78%. Device arm forward.
3: Let's talk international law for a second here. The Geneva Convention lays out the ethics of war. And as you might expect from a World War II era treaty, it's kind of fuzzy on how to treat killer robots. One thing it does say, though, is that using weapons that kill indiscriminately should be considered a war crime.
1: I think it's implicit in existing international law that these machines for the foreseeable future would fail to meet the requirements of international law.
3: Peter Assero is vice chairman of the International Committee for Robot Arms Control. And he thinks that's where the Geneva Convention isn't so open to robots.
1: You have a duty as a commanding officer to protect citizens that and it articulates this in various ways that In all cases, you should be considering the impact on civilians and making choices that protect them. And one, I think that explicitly or implicitly indicates that a human should be making the decision.
3: So robots shouldn't be the ones deciding who gets killed. But there's also another concern, that countries will be quicker to go to war if their armies are made of machines, not real people.
1: There is a large large majority of people in the U.S. who do not ever again want to see body bags coming home.
3: Philosophy professor John Jacob Kegg from the University of Massachusetts in Lowell says that this is where the moral quandary comes in.
1: As we protect our troops, we are more liable to take actions that circumvent or obviate certain longstanding just war traditions, meaning just cause, right intention, rightful authority.
3: The doctrine of just war, with its origins in the Roman Empire, this principle has been honed and enshrined in the international laws of war. Part of it includes an assumption that war should be the last resort. But if a nation can dispatch a robot force without risking a single soldier's life, would an invasion or an attack really stay a last resort? As of now, the U.S. Department of Defense has a policy humans must be involved in making life and death decisions. But how far removed these people can be from the actual war? Very far removed. The former fighter pilot, Missy Cummings, says that when she was flying, it was her decision whether or not to drop a bomb. But things are done a little differently now.
5: Probably one of the greatest leaps in warfare with drones in the last 20 years has been the fact that lawyers actually now sit inside that kill chain. In today's warfare... A drone pilot is looking at a screen, talking to potentially five to ten other people, looking at that same screen on the radio, one of which is a lawyer. And so there's kind of a big committee decision about whether or not that weapon should be released. And so this is a new and, in my opinion, a much better form of warfare. More
3: minds on the case, less physical stress, fewer hasty gut decisions. That all might lead to less atrocity. But will it ever be okay to let a robot make the decision to kill strategically, morally, legally? Target
4: confirmed. Fire.
3: Christoph Heinz is with the United Nations, and his title is kind of ominous. Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial, Summary or Arbitrary Executions.
2: We can even hear it in the name human rights law and humanitarian law. The assumption is that you're dealing with humans taking the decisions. So at the time when these legal systems were developed, people did not even think about the possibility that somehow humans will be taken out of the picture uh, and no longer take the decision on who will live and who will die.
3: Heinz has presented a report to the U.N. summarizing the arguments for and against automated weapon systems. And it raises the question, should there be a moratorium? More than 270 engineers and computer scientists from 37 countries signed a petition to ban killer robots last October. Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch have also joined the campaign. Here's Stephen Goose of Human Rights Watch.
1: You want to stigmatize the weapon. Uh, and, and make sure that people never develop them, never produce them, and never use them. And that's why the preemptive ban is the only thing that makes sense.
3: On the other side of the ban question, there's hope that with more research, better technology, these terrifying autonomous weapons could, could make war safer, as odd as that sounds. Kenneth Anderson is a law professor from American University. He says we have to keep researching to find out the potential benefits.
2: Maybe we won't achieve
1: benefits out of the development of these technologies. But we might actually achieve enormous gains in terms of the ability to control harm on the battlefield. For
3: now, the rules of war aren't written in computer code. Doctrines need to be interpreted by generals and soldiers, case by case. Autonomous weapon systems aren't there yet. And as for the moratorium, the U.N. Convention on Conventional Weapons, yeah, it's really called that, The group met this past May and agreed to decide by consensus on how to proceed at their annual meeting this November. And as it stands now, five countries have called for a ban on this technology, and the U.S. has issued a policy requiring humans to maintain meaningful control over any kill decision. Even supporters of autonomous weapons agree, we must move forward with serious caution. Roboticist Ronald Arkin.
1: We need, as a world, to step back and think about what it is that we're doing. And that means also to think about calling for a ban. We need to take our time. We need to understand. We need to do it rationally and not out of fear, not out of all these arguments about terminators and responsibility for systems that don't exist, all these sorts of things. We need to do this rationally, deliberately, carefully, and see can we help non-combatants?
3: This has been a special presentation of One or Zero, Life or Death, How Technology is Challenging International Law. It was originally produced for German audiences by Thomas Reintjes, with assistance from Philipp Banze for Deutschlandfunk. We hope you enjoyed the English edition by the team here at New Tech City. And if you feel this issue is important, send this episode to a friend. Maybe that person who always reads the international section of the paper straight away. The segment is at NewTechCity.org. Next week, we're back with another story of how technology is infiltrating our lives. But this one is way, way closer to home. I just wanted to know, all these people making iPads and Nexus whatevers that we're using all day long, what are the rules that they have for their kids? What do they think is appropriate for their own children when it comes to gadgets and screens?
1: We were checking whether these whole idea of screen limits was really necessary or important. And I think this was some summer vacation week where Nolan was off. So he said, "No, you know what? No limits. Watch as much shows, play as many games, do whatever you want. Go for it.
3: How the techies parent and experiment on their own children. That's next week on New Tech City. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss it. There's a handy green button on our website, newtechcity.org. Or just search for us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast. That's a new one that I like. Whatever you use. And if it sounds good, let us know. We always really love to hear from you about how technology is changing your life for better or worse or weird. Email me at NewTechCity at WNYC.org or at Twitter. We're at New Tech City or at Manush Z. There's so many ways. It's the new techie world we live in, right? Thank you so much for listening. I'm Manoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City from WNYC. His title is kind of ominous. Special Rapporteur on Extradition. Extra extrajudicial sorry. Extra jud- I can't say the word extrajudicial.